With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Show. I am your host, Neek. My main man, Mr. C, is with me tonight. We got a special guest in a second, fans. I'm going to go ahead and let my main man, Mr. C, in the place to be introduced yourself, man. Let the fans know how you feel. I'm feeling standing. You seem a little extra tight today, man. You just jump off talking about them Oakland Raiders. What's really going on? Why are you so excited today? Because the last couple years, man, it's been a Excellence. We are relevant again. <laughs> we are actually a national football team, man. We are on the rise. I'm so excited. And we're about to go into the Vegas in a couple years. But tonight, fans, we have a man. He's about to be here in the studio in about 10 seconds. That is my main man, Maurice Moten from Bleacher Report. Oh, wait to get Mo on the show, man. Are you excited for tonight, man? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. Have the brother on here. He happens to be an Oakland Raiders beat writer as well as an Oakland Raiders fan. So we got plenty to talk about because, like you said, Nick, Oakland Raiders are really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I, I can't stop, man. I'm just so excited. But with that being said, Bobby, man, coming into the studio live on our show tonight, Mr. Mo, man. What's going on, Mo? What's going on, man? It's good to be here. We've been waiting to get you on the show, man. I know fans, you know, before in the past I've talked about, yeah, we we'll have Mo on the show this week. Um, actually, not this week, man. We got to keep people uh, postponing and stuff, but we just had some scheduled conflicts, man. But I'm excited. Why don't you on the show? Yeah, man, I was on the, the PUP list for a little bit, so you know how that goes. But, you know, I'm, I'm back off the, off the injury report. Ready to roll. Um, I know a lot of people are taking off because training camp is uh, coming up, but they take place, take a little break. But you know how it is when you're a writer; it's no off season. It's, it's all day, Raiders all day. So I'm ready. So Mo, did you just say you was on a pup list, man? I know you did not just say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. What, what, what kind I, I of injury did you have, man? What kind of? <laughs> 
I had I had a core injury I had to work out, but you know what it is. It's, it's only a three to four week injury. I came back. It was a little questionable, and I upgraded myself to probable. Had a couple of practice runs, and I'm back at it. You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for tuning in, man. Thanks for uh, having you on the show tonight. So, Mo, that being said, man, I know you're a writer. You're the Raiders beat writer, man, for Bleacher Report. You also write for NFL uh, Zone. Um, but could you just tell the fans, man, some of the fans who are not familiar with your work? Um, I know a lot of fans, Raider fans, you know, you're the voice of the Raiders fan for Bleacher Report. I know they know about you, but some of them don't know too much about you like that. But could you just give them a little insight, man, kind of how would you get started with Bleacher Report, man? Just don't, just don't tell them everything, but just give them a little synopsis, man. Yeah, I'll give you a little synopsis. It's funny you asked me this question today because today is actually – Three years ago today, I actually wrote my first article for Bleacher Report. A lot of people don't know this, but I started out as a Jets writer. For those that don't know, I'm in New York City, by the way. So my local team, being the Jets and the Giants, I followed them closely, got on the Bleacher Report, started covering the Jets, and they were actually pretty good at the time. The Raiders were not so good. Um, But I actually volunteered to switch over to the Raiders beat because since I was about nine years old, I, I believe when the Raiders first moved to Oakland, from Los Angeles, I started watching as a kid, even on the East Coast. And I, I switched over to the Raiders beat. I took an even note that year, 2014. They, you know, the record didn't reflect a lot of progress, but I saw a lot in what Derek Carr was doing. This is the year that Derek Carr took, basically took over the job. They were 0-10, I believe. Then they won a game. Uh, Davis Murray had that breakout game, and I started covering the Raiders at that point forward. And I told a lot of people, they're on the upswing, but you got to be a little – got to be patient. I, a lot of people didn't believe in Reggie McKenzie, didn't know who Derek Carr was. Uh, Coop wasn't in the fold yet. People thought Mac would be pretty good, but a lot of that didn't come together. And basically my career ironically ties in with, with where the Raiders were in their career. Like I wasn't 0-10 in my life or career, but I was kind of on the upswing. The Raiders were on the upswing, and we kind of came up together in a sense. And then uh, people started recognizing me on Twitter through Bleach Report. And other little outlets started uh, sharing my articles. And out of nowhere, I started getting this huge Twitter following of people just asking me questions. So I started out with a uh, kind of like a mailbag for the Raiders. And I just watch film, watch film. Uh, a lot of people just look at the stats. But I, I usually confirm what I see in the, in the box score with what I see on film. So that's how I go about uh, just my research on the Raiders and listening to interviews and reading between the lines because we all know the coaches and the players are going to say what they should be saying. They're going to say the, you know, the sanitized thing that people are going to want to hear. But when you read in between the lines, you really get to figure out what's going on behind the scenes and what's happening with the Raiders. And I've been doing that three years now. As I said, three-year anniversary today, I've been covering NFL and I would say a little under three years covering the Raiders. So, Used to this beat, and I'm just glad to be covering the team. Well, that's awesome, Mo. This is Chuck, by the way. Uh, we love having you here. Thank you for uh, spending time with us this evening. So, I just got a couple questions because I'm an ASU <laughs> fan, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan. So, awesome. I kind of have that kindred, that kindred spirit with Raiders because we've both gone through that low, like, low, low period. Like, Patriots fans, like, Steelers fans, they don't know what that's like. Like, a, like a terrible season in them is like eight and eight. But the Bengals fans, we was one of the, <laughs> we was one of the worst teams in the 90s. Uh, the Oakland Raiders, towards the end of the great Al Davis's life, they were kind of, 
but to that Super Bowl, we all remember, uh, you know, what happened there. We we won't go back and talk about it now because I see a tear coming out of Meek's eye. But you mentioned the and how he came into uh, Raiders uh, organization, and you guys kind of, uh, you and the Raiders kind of came together. Uh, you know, your stories are kind of parallel, both on the rise. How do you think? What are the major things that you see? Uh, that Reggie McKenzie, Reggie McKenzie has done to turn to help turn this organization around um, after the passing of Al Davis. Well, for one, he, he he's a calorie, he's a salary cap wizard. I believe the Raiders. I looked at this, I believe, a week or two ago, and the Raiders oh have like the least amount of dead cap old players. And what I mean by that is that you know when you cut a player, you you owe the money, even though they're not in the roster anymore. And the Raiders would, would bring in these high-priced free agents and, and have them to cut them one or two years later and still owe them money because you paid them this huge deal. And what Reggie McKenzie likes to do is he likes to front-load deals so that if he brings in a free agent, I'll use an example real quick, Dan Williams. He brought in Dan Williams in 2015. Dan Williams had, you know, a short stint and they cut him, you know, a couple of months ago. Now, he's not owing any dead money. I believe the Raiders recouped $4.5 million after releasing him. Owing nothing. So what he likes to do is he likes to say, hey, we'll, we'll bring in these free agents. We'll give them a chance. But we're going to front load the contract so that if they fizzle out after one, two years, cut bait with them, it's cool because guess what? We don't owe them any money after that second or third year. And he's really good at doing that. The other thing is basically his uh, – we all know how he he likes to take chances in the draft. Remember DJ Hayden, who's now to Detroit Lions, had an injury before he came into the league. Mackenzie likes to roll dice on players who may be injured or have to get over certain obstacles. I know Naran Ball also falls into the category he just got waived. But if you look at what he's doing, and he can hit at any point in the draft, whether you're talking about a Khalil Mack at the top of the draft, and I don't care if Khalil Mack was an early pick, a top five pick, and people say, well, he just fell into Mackenzie's lap. How many players have we seen come into the league top five pick and they went up being a bust? You still have to do your research on these players. There's no guarantees in the NFL. So you have to give him credit yeah. for his draft. you got to give him credit for his draft. He, he drafts players, good players at the beginning of the draft, the end of the draft. Talk about a seven-rounder like P.J. Carey, who played a huge role a couple of years ago. I know he wasn't that great last year. He was coming off of a down season because he had too much on his plate. But you look at a guy like Gabe Jackson, who just got a massive, massive extension, third-rounder. I mean, teams passed, some teams passed on him three times before he, got, before he landed with the Raiders. Uh, you pick Derek Carr mm. in the second round. Uh, fourth quarterback, I believe, drafted in that, in that draft class, and he winds up the Rangers. McKenzie picked him up. So you got to look at what he's doing with free agency as far as contracts, what he's doing with drafts as far as, I believe, seven undrafted rookies had a hand in the Rangers' success last year, uh, going 12 and 4 in that season, having a hand in that, on that roster. So he, he, his scout team, he and his scout team are doing a good job of finding talent, not only at the beginning, at the top of the draft, but the undiscovered talents that go undrafted as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because I always found it weird because I like Derek. Coming out of Fresno State, I thought Derek Carr was amazing. I thought he was a lot first-round um, talent. For him to fall to second round, uh, I just didn't get it. Do you have any insight? I know this is going back three, four years, so you might have to dig in the memory bank a little bit. Uh, <laughs> from your opinion, why did Derek Carr fall to the second round? I just, I just felt like people didn't see him as a special talent. People saw – one of the things that I'll say that a lot of people say they didn't see in is his arm strength. And, mm-hmm. no, he doesn't have a cannon like uh, Matt, Matt Stafford. 
But he can get the ball downfield. I know you all know about the ACDC connection. Now, he can go deep mm-hmm. to Mark Cooper, and I think a lot of people didn't see that when he was at Fresno State. A lot of people saw him as a Kirk Cousins type of quarterback, kind of like <laughs> a manager. He, you know, he can get the ball down the field, but he's not going to wow you with anything. He's not going to He's not going to go for the jugular or anything. But if you see him, Derek Carr, is, <laughs> he admires Kobe Bryant. Anyone who admires Kobe Bryant and try to rip your heart out through your chest. And that's what Derek Carr is. He, yeah, he may be all about Jesus when he gets in front of the cameras in front of the people. When he's on the field and you listen to players of how they describe him on the field, he is super intense. So he has that dual personality where he can turn it up when he gets on the field and just be like the Christian Tim Tebow-like dude when he gets off the field. So don't be fooled by Derek Carr. I think a lot of people were. Moke, this is neat, uh, Neek, man. You know, I, I feel everything you're saying tonight, man, to Chuck, man. I, I feel everything you're saying about this Raider Nation team, man, and this Oakland Raiders team. But I hate them in the past, man. And I love Derek Carr, but damn that Jarkus Russell. Damn. Uh, <laughs> they, who else we had? We done had so many bad quarterbacks, man. Russell, man. Andrew Walter. Drill Fry, you know, he tried hard. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I remember watching Tui on the sofa, and I thought, maybe we can have something here. And then I was like, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> Carson Palmer and, and, brought him out of retirement, didn't do much. I mean, rough. And, and we all know, man, God bless us all, David. Rest in peace. But I don't know. I don't know what kind of sickness he had when he was deaf on that deathbed, man, because he was giving out some ridiculous contracts like Javon Walker. I mean, you know, all you got to do is Sixty yard pass, and you you outrun everybody else. Out there, oh, 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 we got to give you a six year, eighty million dollar contract. I was so sick and tired of seeing that, man. If you run a four two or four three, you know, it's all about speed, speed, speed. And I'm sick of that, man. Speed, speed, speed ain't got nothing to do with it, man. Speed, speed, speed might give you one or two catches a game, but hell, we still two and fourteen. Hell, we still three and thirteen. Hell, we still four and twelve. Hell, we suck. We suck for the last ten, twelve years, man. Hey, hey, man, I'm going to propose something on Nick and on Nick and Chuck's show right now. Like, we need an age limit on people who can make roster decisions. Because I'm going to run a quick parallel by you. I know you're familiar with the Nick. I feel like Al Davis is an equivalent, God rest his soul, is equivalent to Phil Jackson, what he was doing. But he got to the Knicks. It's just when you get old and you're about 70 and above, I think you just, I don't want to say you don't care, but your mind doesn't compute talent the way it used to. And you, and you just look at highlights, and you look at certain things, and you go, oh, this player is going to be pretty good. Really, everyone else can be not so good. And I think that's what happened with Al Davis before he passed away. And it's just kind of like you see a highlight of a player, oh, he's fast, he does this good, okay, we're just going to sign to a major deal and hope it works out. And it just doesn't. And, that, and that's why it's like, once you get above 70, I'm a little leery about handing the reins over you to, to handle my roster. I, I want my GMs and owners and people who are making decisions to be below the age of 70, preferably in their, you know, like 50s maybe because they have the experience, but their mind is still sharp. And I agree with you on that. Chuck will agree on that, that there should be age limit for owners who reach a certain age because, <laughs> you know, they're not thinking clearly enough. What they need to do is look at their kids or look at their son if they have a strong trust bond with their son they here and say, son, daddy ain't thinking right right now. Daddy, y'all are over the place. You put the hell out of the team. I know this franchise on the ground. Uh, you look at, like you just said, Phil Jackson, I don't know what the hell he's doing in New York. I think Phil don't even care anymore. I think he just went there and said, hey, I'm still Phil Jackson, man. The Knicks gave me a damn job. I'm not bored. I don't want to do what this team is. We're going to run this triangle offense, and we still suck. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, basically. I, I told 
Yeah, I t- I totally agree with you on that. But let me ask you the question, Mo. What's your take on the Raiders 2017 draft class? And I want you to really be honest with me on this, man. Gain- name a couple picks that you do like. And actually, I, know, I don't want to do that to the young kids right now. I was going to say, name a pick that you don't like. But I'm not going to do that to the kids. I'm not going to do that right yeah. now. I know Raider Nation fans are like, what the hell, Nick? Why you got to say that, man? We're bad on our players already. No, I'm not going to do that. So with that being said, Give us your take on the Raiders 2000, 2017 draft class. And also, like I said, just throw a couple of picks out there that you really like. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I'm usually brutally honest with the Raiders draft class. So any of your listeners that are listening to me now know that I don't I don't pull any punches. But I won't even start off with the negative because I, I threw out a name out there on draft day and, and Twitter went crazy. I won't even say that name again. Maybe I will. But anyway, I'll start off with the good. Um, I like Obi Mellifone. I think – as a second-round pick, he's what the Raiders need. I know they were running the money-backer position with him, which is the Deion Buchanan position in Arizona, where he's like a, a safety-slash-linebacker hybrid. Basically, he's going to be able to cover the tight end and sit in the box and make tackles. I really like that second-round pick. I actually mocked him plenty of times when I was on my draft. I actually, I'm going to go down the, down the list. I'm going to say Elijah Hood is going to be Marshawn Lynch's uh, beast mode part two. I'm not saying that gets good as Marshawn Lynch, but I'm saying when Marshawn Lynch decides to hang him up again, Elijah Hood is going to be the guy that's going to be running between the tackles or running over defenders. Trayvon Hester's been pretty good. I liked him out of Toledo. He showed his stuff in a minicamp. He's out there rushing the pass. So I don't think he's a complete defensive tackle, but the Raiders need someone who's going to rush the passer from the middle, and I think Trayvon Hester can do that as a defensive tackle. One play I will I, I kind of flip. I wouldn't say flip flopped on, but I've changed my mind on if Eddie Vander does, only because looking at him on his on the collegiate level, he hasn't really had a good season since I believe his sophomore year at UCLA. He missed the entire. He missed all of mini, uh, mini camp and OTAs because UCLA has this silly quarter system where your academic year lasts till June 16th, so you can't report to professional camp until you finish school. So he had to finish school. So he hasn't practiced. But um, as long as he keeps his weight down, his weight around maybe 300 pounds, I think he can be pretty good because the Raiders need some need someone who can play multiple positions along the defensive line, especially if you got Mario Edwards missing games. Mario Edwards has played 16 games, and he's missed 16 games. I like him, love the kid, but he, he needs to stay healthy. And I think Eddie Vander does is a backup that can fill that role if he's out. Um, a couple of, I'll say, questionable picks. I won't say I don't like him because we haven't seen them yet. But Markel Lee, I, I just don't get why McKenzie waited till the fifth round to draft a linebacker, especially at your weakest position on the roster. You wait till the fifth round. It, to me, that was baffling. There was a kid out of Northwestern that I really liked that he passed on in the third and fourth round that I thought would have fit well. But he went with Markel Lee out of Wake Forest. We'll see how it goes. He has the stature, but I don't think he's going to be a starter on day one. I think the Raiders are going to wind up having to pick up a veteran linebacker to start at middle linebacker. Unless Corey James surprisingly holds on to the spot. Uh, there's David Sharp who's supposed to take over for Donald Penn eventually, but I don't I don't know about that. It was reported that he was blind in one eye. He denied it. McKenzie, of course, denied it. I'm a little questionable on that pick after hearing that report. Uh, Shalom Luani. Yeah, I will see how that goes. He has a problem with tackling, and you're playing football. You're not playing tennis. You're not playing hockey. You're not playing basketball. You have to be able to tackle, and that's the basic tenet of football. He has trouble. He has trouble tackling. He's very good at coverage, but he has trouble tackling. He does not touch football, so that may be a problem. Uh, but 
overall, I, I skipped over Gary and Conley only because we don't even know what's going to happen with him. Of course, there was supposed to be a decision on him six to eight weeks, and it turns it's now the tenth week, and we don't know what happened with him or if he's going to be his name's going to be cleared. He can't be punished, but of course, you know if he's if he's on the line for sexual assault, he's not going to be able to play right. now because people are going to be screaming for his head. So I won't even go into him, but overall, I would say I would give the Raiders draft class a B minus because that linebacker position really bothers me. Again, I really felt they should have went with a linebacker in the first three rounds. If you're not going to draft one in the first round, I can understand Gary and Conley fell and Obi Mamafamu was a need, but I would have drafted a linebacker in the third round. It was the fifth match, just kind of turned me off a little bit. But again, I'll give it a B minus to be fair because, again, we haven't seen players practice the pads on yet. You're right, yeah. Yeah, well, B minus is, I've heard a worse draft race, but uh, this is Chuck. I just want to, I wanted to talk about Gary and Conley, but his on-field uh, attributes, just because I'm a fellow Ohio State alumni Buckeye, so is, <laughs> so is Nick. So I just want to talk about Gary and Conley's on-the-field uh, abilities and how do you see once, you know, however it plays out with legal situation, once he gets on the field, how do you see the Raiders using him? Because at Ohio State, I mean, Gary and Conley was the ultimate athlete. He could run, run with anybody, stay with anybody, cover with anybody. But it seems like he had a problem with his hands. He must have been the worst pancake player when he was a little kid because his hands were terrible. I mean, you would have the smallest wide receiver, half his size, and Gary Conley just put his arms up there and the guy just runs right through it. And I know the Oakland Raiders – they like the, they like those corners to to be press corners to put their hands on people. So, how do you see? I understand this this is a coachable skill. Do you see the the Raiders being able to coach up Gary Conley to get his hands better, or are they going to use him as uh, ten yards off the ball? Do you see how? Uh, do you have insight on how the Raiders might use him? I think to begin with, he'll be inside only because you, they're going to give Sean Smith and Dave Anderson a chance on the outside, they're still going to be your starting cornerback, I believe. Gary O'Connor is going to come on. He's going to play inside. He's going to play off the ball. Unless there's a matchup issue, let's say you're, um, Emmanuel Sanders is on the outside, then I would match Gary O'Connor up with him only because, like you said, he can he can match strike for strike with speed, whereas Sean Smith and David Emerson cannot. So it's going to be a matchup thing with him. But I would say, generally speaking, he's going to be the nickelback. And if you have a quick, speedy receiver on the outside because you don't want to see Sean Smith turn into a a burnt piece of toast out there like he did with Brandon Cooks last year in week one, you want a fast cornerback <clears throat> out there, and that's going to be Gary O'Connell. Nah, as far as his hands are nah, concerned. No, nah, no, Mo, Mo, Mo. On our show, we don't talk about burnt toast. When the player get beat as bad as Sean Smith got beat, that had an action against the Saints and uh, Brandon <laughs> Cooks. We say he gave up that ass a lot. <laughs> Well, he was he was bent over the jail cell on that one because he was uh, – Raiders fans won't forget that. And I think I think people forget that he actually recovered somewhat throughout the season, Sean Smith. He actually – he wasn't as bad as people, I believe, think he was. I believe that first showing, remember how we – you know, you always say first impressions mean a lot. And if he's giving it up like that in the first week, then people just never get over that. And people – you can't unsee that. But he did have an injury that's not an excuse. He had an injury. He had, a, I believe, a shoulder surgery. He says he's going to get back to where he was when he was in Kansas City. At least we would all hope so. But again, I mean, with Aaron Conley, if if we get a situation where Emerson or Smith struggle again, 
you're going to see Garrett Conley get a quick bump into the starting lineup on the outside. And that's why they drafted him because, I mean, cornerback wasn't really a pressing need because you still had T.J. Carey. I like T.J. Carey a lot more than a lot of other people. But it wasn't a pressing need, but when you got Garrett Conley, you, you take him because he could possibly be the best cornerback in this draft class. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's funny because I was about to elbow Chuck, man. He was talking about, y'all get him to play 10 yards off the line. Hell no, nah, man. man when are you going to come here and play that rave you can in coverage, man? <laughs> nah, man, no Tory James or uh, rave you can in coverage. I hate that coverage, man. When you come to Oakland, like I said on last week's show, we did our show last week. I don't know if you listened to it, but last week's show, we talked about players we hate, players I can't stand. I brought up Daniel that D'Angelo Hall. Hall because, yeah, yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. When you come to Oakland, man, you got to know how to play press man coverage. And D'Angelo Hall, he couldn't even play press man coverage. If you can't play man-to-man in Oakland, your ass should not be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I'm sorry, man. That's where it go. And the Raiders, I would be pissed at them if they took Conley in the first round just to play some uh, play press man and to play 10 yards off that Ray Buchanan coverage because, to me, <laughs> I can't stand my NFL cornerbacks, man. Hell, I used to be a middle school football coach. My little fifth grade uh, cornerbacks out there, we played press man. Other teams look like, damn, why are they so physical? Because that's what we run. We press man. We do like we do in Oakland. <laughs> See, this is why I played safety when I was in high school and I, when I was on the football field. I had to press nobody. I would just kind of hang out like Ed Reed and take passes off. That was that was my view, so. I can't even talk about press coverage people, so all power to you if you play press coverage on the outside. All right. All right, so my question to you is this, man. I know I get a lot of Raiders fans. I'm in California right now with Chuck, man, and, you know, and, and uh, people see my Raiders wristband, and they're like, oh, you a Raiders fan? And I talk to them. I let them know. And, you know, even some of the fans, they even be showing stuff. Oh, you neat, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, from the Neek and Chuck show. So they say, Neek, man, what do you think our weakness is, man? And I'm like, right now, that middle linebacker position. I mean, that damn yep. Ben Henny, he couldn't get the job done. I wouldn't even go in him, man. I understand in college at Kansas, he had all the tackles, blah, blah, blah. But he's too slow. He can't get off of, – he can't shed blocks. So, Corey James, you know, sixth round, um, you know, out of uh, Colorado State, we put him in there. He was decent. I mean, he had enough big plays. So, off the street and brought in Perry Riley Jr., who I thought was, you know, decent. I mean, he wasn't great. He was good. I mean, he was solid for us. So with that being said, we head into this offseason. I'm thinking in the draft, I'm like, oh, man, we we about to get us a middle linebacker, me and Chuck watching the show. And I was damn, we ain't getting no linebacker yet. Next thing you know, second round, no linebacker, no middle linebacker. I'm like, damn. And then third round, no middle linebacker. And that's what Mo said. That's why he gave him a B minus. They didn't get the linebacker. Yeah, <laughs> so, so then fourth round, I'm like, damn, where's our middle linebacker? So fifth round, we take Markel Lee. Now, like I said, no knock on him. And, you know, I've seen – uh, uh, the mini camp, the rookie mini camp, you know, he's bust. I mean, he's cut, he looks the part, but the question is speed, man. Can he shed, can he get off a block, can he make plays, man? Can you know, he stop that running back behind the line of scrimmage? That's what we need. We need a thumper. The Raiders haven't had a thumper in years. I'm talking about that Mike Lineback position in years. We need a vocal leader on that defense out there, um, you know, to play along Bruce Irvin and uh, <laughs> nah, hell, no, not no Ray Miles. Hell, get out of here. Did you not just say you need a thumper? Yeah, we need a thumper that can play all 16 games, man. Not a thumper that only come in and play five games. What the hell, Chuck, man? This is hell, man. man. But no, so what I'm saying is, I know Perry Riley's out there. 
I saw David Harris. You know, he was out there for a second. So I was like, damn, we got to get David Harris. You know, he comes in and bring that veteran leadership. Then again, I about David Harris. It's kind of like what happened. Who was that play we brought in a couple years ago? Uh, the middle linebacker that was too slow, man. What was the name, Mo? Uh, the veteran. Curtis Lofton. Curtis Lofton. Yeah, Curtis Lofton. So, so I think Reggie McKenzie was kind of scared. Like, I don't know. David Harris might be like that Curtis Lofton. So with that being said, man, I'm looking like, damn, well, I know we got all these youngsters and stuff. You know, we got a couple undrafted students. Um, and I think, you know, um, uh, Big Red is going to let the, you know, the guys battle it out in training camp. But with that being said, man, to me, that might be a position scared, man. It's like critical, man. I mean, I'm just sitting here like, I mean, I'm just nervous, man. I'm shaking right now I'm talking about position. So, do you think that's our biggest weakness into the season? Oh, yeah. Like I, like I just said, you, you can't wait. At, at your weakest position, you cannot wait to the fifth round to address that. Like, you, there's got to be a player that you like in the first three rounds that you could address to fill that spot. I'm not saying you got to draft out a need and go out of your way, but the fifth round, like that, to me, that scares me. And the fact that Reggie McKenzie after the draft said that he's going to let the young kids battle it out, see if they can claim the position. Jack Del Rio, I like his approach. He came out and said we didn't address that position well enough. We're going to have to, we're going to have to add somebody. So I, I fully expect the Raiders to add someone. I would say mid to late August as teams are cutting down players. I would say also look over at the Bills because the Bills actually have a surplus of linebackers which they switched over from Rex Ryan's team to now Sean McDermott's team. One of their Preston linebackers. Brown. Preston Brown. Yeah, exactly. And they missed on Zach Brown, which is a former Buffalo Bills linebacker. I believe they can still get a Bills linebacker if they don't turn to Perry Riley or if he doesn't sign with someone else. But it's definitely the weakest position because I don't think Corey James last year. Corey James only played one season as a middle or inside linebacker in college at Colorado. He was an outside linebacker who rushed a quarterback. That's not his natural position. You talked about Haney. Uh, I don't want to. And then we got Markel Lee, who's a rookie we don't know too much about. So, again, I think a veteran is going to come in and take that position over, uh, whether it's Perry Riley, whether they trade for a Bills linebacker, or they did pick up somebody. I know a lot of people wanted Zach Orr, but I don't think that's going to happen. Zach Orr has a neck issue, which scared a lot of teams off, scared the Ravens off, because they thought about bringing him back. They're not sure. So I think the Raiders are, are, are in a position where I think McKenzie, I don't want to say he screwed that up because we don't know what Mark Kelly is, but he could have done a lot better at filling that position. But I will also say, though, I, I know a lot of people talk about middle linebacker, but safety, they're one injury away. One injury away from Keith McGill getting back in the lineup. And you don't want Keith yeah. McGill and your starting lineup on the back end. I'm just saying, putting that out there. Yeah, that Keith McGill, man, he uh, he's stiff, man. He, he is so <laughs> stiff. I've never seen a safety so damn stiff, man. And I know Utah. What came out of Utah, right? It was Utah State. Yeah, Utah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, they usually have some good players, but I've never seen a safety so damn stiff. It's like the ball's already hiked, and it keeps just frozen like a mannequin just sitting there. I'm like, damn, I can't move. <laughs> you know, he's, he's still sitting there. I'm like, oh, man, what the hell? Slow bandwidth. Yeah, yeah, slow bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, they need to uh, uh, discontinue his ass. Upgrade. Yeah, this is the same. This is the same dude who they gave a chance to start at cornerback when DJ Hayden was having his problems, and they had T. Travis Carey or TJ Carey out there. He couldn't claim the starting position. They moved him to safety. Didn't work out there. Now they got him as a special teamer. So that tells you all you need to know about Keith Miguel as a, as a defensive back. Period. Shouldn't be on the field. right. Uh, there's two players I want to talk about real fast, and this one kid I'm about to name 
is my sleeper. And I'm saying, I'm telling you right now, I keep all hyped and caught up and watching YouTube videos and watching, you know, camps and stuff because, you know, the pads aren't on. But I'm telling you, Jaden Mickens has been looking dynamite. I mean, the boy, I mean, I know Al Davis right now is in his gravest skin. Speed, speed, speed. Because, man, if you put him in that slot position, I know we got Seth Roberts and Corderell Patterson, but I'm telling you, Mickens, man, has been looking, I mean, looking smooth. And he's been putting a lot of work in and stuff. But, I mean, I can't predict, you know, what's the season look like, you know, how he's going to do so season. But let me just get your insight. What do you think about Jay Nickens, man? You think he might have a role in this offense? Oh, I just I just put out my uh, 53-man depth chart predictions, and I have him as the fifth receiver. It was kind of close because I did to K.J. Brent, only because I, I believe that with his size, he would be the replacement for Andre Holmes on the offensive side, and you you already got Patterson contributing on special teams, so you kind of compensate for losing Holmes. But I got I, I got a view. Jadon Nickens has been showing uh, through camp, or actually through OTAs and men's mini camp, that he's comfortable in the offense. He's catching passes. He's flashy when he's, when he's catching passes. So I actually like his chances of being the fifth receiver on that roster. I know he's probably he's probably the smallest receiver, but this is a guy with some speed. He can kind of catch and run. And I like the idea of probably throwing to him uh, quick outs and just getting him downfield because Patterson, Pharrell Patterson, even though he He's going to be on the active roster. He's still – I've watched him run routes, and he's not as polished as a wide receiver, per se. He's going to be great on special teams, returning and all of that stuff. But when it comes to running routes and stuff like that, he's not as polished. So I think the Raiders are going to need a more polished, confident receiver to be that in that fifth spot. And I think J. Don Mickens is going to be that. Johnny Holton played last year, but he was more of a gimmicky gadget receiver, a handoff, mm-hmm. end around, stuff like that. Now, we need a real receiver with hands. Jadon Mickens played four good years, at, decent years, I should say, at Washington. So I think he'll be good in that fifth spot. All right. Jericho, man, I've got to get a take on him, man, because when I look at that signing, I'm glad we didn't give him too much money, but I can't as hype as I, as I want to be because when you play Aaron Rodgers and you only put up, was it, 30 catches? You really can't shine or ball out until the division of playoff game. I mean that that I mean I just can't get hype off of that. I mean it means to tell me that what the hell were you doing in Green Bay? And I understand it's cold up there. You can't blame your play on the weather and oh man, I struggled because it was too cold, this and that. I don't give a damn. You playing with Aaron Rodgers, AR. Go out there and produce. He should have been putting up about seventy catches that season. That's why the Packers would have kept his ass. They was like, oh, now we move on. You know, they don't go to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, you think we can keep the cook? Now nah, he's good. <laughs> so, with that being said, he comes to <laughs> Oakland now, and a lot of Oakland Raiders fans are like, man, I'll shoot out. Hey, we got Jerry Cook and Clyde Warford. That's the best two tight end package in the league. I'm like, no, not. Calm your ass nah. down. And I should have brought this up the last week's show, things that I hate. I hate when people get too a damn hype and too yeah. excited, over exaggerate things. Because I'm telling you right now, Warford hasn't done much so far. And, then, you know, I love you, man. I've been the U fan for years, man. And I watched him in Miami. I was like, eh, he's not the greatest thing like Shockey and, you know, Kellen Winslow and all that stuff. He, hell, he wasn't even, hell, he wasn't even the same league as Bubba Franks. And I had to throw Bubba <laughs> But what I'm saying is, Jared Cook and Clyde Warford, I can't get excited as I want to be for that two tight end set. Now, they better bring it this year. That's all I'm going to say, man, because if Warford puts up 30 catches, 
and Jared Cook improves by 10 catches to 40. Come on, man. It's a failure. Both of their ass need to get dropped off. And it's awesome. So with that being said, how you feel? How do you really feel, man, about Jared Cook and Clyde Wolf, the two tight end package? Hey, man, I, I'm sort of with you. I'm, I'm, I'm about 50-50 with you on that one, only because I look at it this way, right? Jared Cook, he, I mean, he only played 10 games last year. I believe if he, if he has a full season, his stats would look a lot more appealing to you. But, again, he only played uh, 10 games. He only started, I believe, five. He had to share time with another Rogers tight end, I believe, Richard Rogers. So he had some competition there. He's going to have some competition in Oakland. But I think he's going to pick up where he left off in that playoff. I mean, three playoff games, he did have 18 catches, 229 yards, and, three, and two TDs, I believe, and an acrobatic ballerina-like catch against the Dallas Cowboys, who I can't stand but I'm not going to address that on the show. In this case, you do have some Cowboys fans listening. Won't go there. But I will say this. I think Jared Cook is going to be pretty good in Oakland only because I think Derek Carr is looking to go to the tight end position, and I believe it frustrated him that Clyde Walker wasn't the offensive weapon he should have been coming out of out of college. And I think they expected more from Walker, but he had that ATV accident where he hurt his knee. Mackenzie also said uh, during owners' meetings that he wasn't the same player, so they had to bring in a veteran guy who knows how to at least get in the end zone and score. I know Jared Cook's best year was probably 2013 with the Rams when he had five TDs, but he's sharing the field with a decent uh, Clyde Walker. It's not horrible. He could be better, but the two of them together, you get two mediocre tight ends together, you can get some decent output. So I think the tight end position will be fine, but I will say, Watch out for Gabe Holmes. The Raiders really like Gabe Holmes last year. He got hurt, and he's a receiving tight end. And if, let's say, Cook or Walford disappoint or get injured, Gabe Holmes could step in and, and catch some touchdown passes. All right, man. Well, thank you for, uh, you know, uh, a little bit, man. I mean, I mean, still, though, man. I mean, yeah, you miss you miss six games. But still, man, you, you wait till playoffs to finally show out. I mean, I'm sorry, man. I, I I like tight end to produce every week on a high level. You understand? Hey, now, man. those six games, hey, yeah, st- what you say? You, Go ahead. You, you're spoiled, man. You're spoiled, man. You, you've been watching too much Rob Gronkowski. you watch too much Travis Kelsey. At tight end, I mean, tight end is an up-and-coming position. You're starting to see a lot more athletic tight ends. But, it, you know, finding a good receiving tight end, a consistent tight end throughout the season is Pretty pretty tough because those guys typically come out. They have to learn two things. They're not they're not just receivers. They got to learn their blocking assignments also. So it's it's tough for them to kind of separate and kind of delve into both. Sometimes they're good at one and not good at the other. Sometimes they just average at both. But I think I, I really think Jared Cook. I'm not saying he's going to have ten touchdowns and like 600 receiving yards. But I think he's going to have. I would say I would put it at maybe 400 receiving yards, five touchdowns. I'll take it considering you have Clyde Walker still in the mix. All right. All right, man. Well, like I said, man, I mean, you calm me down a little bit, man. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. But um, to finish oh, off the show, man, we got a few minutes left, man. So, it's a new season, man. You know, we went 12-4 last year. So, you know, I got to bring this on the show, man. Get off this show. Oh, Let me get your expectation for this 2017 Raiders team. Let me get your prediction. And let me get your team. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to start off with the easiest of the questions. The team the team MVP is going to be Derek Carr. Uh, he's going to be healthy. He's going to play. This time he's going to play all 16 games. So I, I suspect that the Raiders' offensive line, specifically Donald Penn, fell back and he got hurt. And they're going to protect him with their life, as they should. 
Uh, he's going to be the MVP. He's still going to run it for a lot of MVP, MVP votes this year, but I will say that uh, it's going to be more because of his decision-making with football, not because his stats are crazy because they're going to run the ball a lot, but Derek Carr is going to be the team MVP. Uh, I've been back and forth on the Raiders' win-loss season uh, record. I'm stuck, almost stuck between 11-5 and five and 12-4, and four, only because I'm torn about the Giants game. Uh, Nick, I know you're a Giants fan somewhat, or you follow the Giants closely, and you, you of all people, should know that Giants defense is pretty damn good, and they got a trio of wide receivers, Brandon Marshall, Odell Beckham Jr., and Sterling Shepard are pretty good. I wouldn't under that Giants game is going to decide whether the Raiders go 12 and 4 and 11 and 5. I think that game is going to go in overtime. If I had a gun in my head right now, I would say that the Raiders go 12 and 4 because at first I wasn't so sure about Marshawn Lynch. I know that's an unpopular. Uh, take because he's coming off of a, a bad season. Well, he's retired. He was off for a whole year. Before that, he had a bad season in Seattle. I know their offensive line is compared to what Oakland has. But I don't think they're going to run him into the ground like he was in his heyday. Um, but I did see some encouraging things uh, from the interview from Todd Downing that they're going to – I think they really believe that he, he's in tip-top form, especially behind that offensive line. So, again, if I had to, you know, throw a prediction out today, I would say 12-4. and four. If Marshawn Lynch stays healthy and he plays, uh, I guess, 14 games, I'd say, the Raiders go 12-4. But I will say this. If they lose that Giants game, they'll probably go like a five. Yeah, man. That that Giants game is going to be tough. Because right now, part of me right now, I'm pitching the game. I'm pitching Sterling Shepard, just having Sean Smith all turned around. <laughs> and I know that show, probably the following week's show, I'm going to just talk He'll probably be a, a candidate at the W Gut Award. Who gave up that ass award? And I'm be like, did you see Sean Smith give up that ass, man? <laughs> I'm sure he's gonna be a, he's gonna be a candidate for that. I probably send the bouquet his way after that game. But I, I feel you, man. I mean, the thing I'm worried about with this team is the right tackle position. I think Austin Howard is going to end up being. Uh, I think they're going to end up cutting him heading to training camp. Um, you know, do a lot of money. I, mean, I think Velda uh, Alexander. I think he, he can step in and start ahead of um, um, Austin Howard. You agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I think Vidal is going to just start at the right time day one. I felt like even though he had some penalties last year, I feel like he, he understands the position and he'd be pretty good with a little more practice, a little more reps. I think he can earn the spot. And I totally agree with you. I think Austin Howard is going to get cut before preseason starts. The Raiders can recoup about $5 million if they cut him and not owe him any dead money. I spoke about dead money contracts earlier in the show, but – they can cut him and not miss anything and get money back. So, and they, they have a lot of players that can play that right tackle spot. But I think Vidal Alexander is going to be there. The problem is that he's going to see a lot of, uh, I guess, Justin Houston, Joey Bosa, because you know those teams in the division are going to match up their best pass rusher against him instead of Donald Penn because they know he's a second-year player. So that's the only thing I worry about with them. But, again, uh, but, I expect a good season. I expect a good season for the Raiders. They go into the playoffs. I think they win a division. Whether they whether they win eleven or twelve games, I think they're going to win the division. But it's stuck between again that Giants game worries me because Odell Beckham and Sterling Shepard might kill those Raiders defensive backs. And you know, before we end the show, man, I got to say this: he can't be any worse. Alexander can't be any worse than mentally. I'm so glad oh, his ass is over in Denver. Just wait to see with Bruce Irvin and, and Khalil Mack. They're going to be over there arguing with each other. You're going to be saying, hey, you, you want to get them next? Let me get them next. Oh, let me get them. No, nah, no, nah, let me get them. I'm telling you, man, they're going to be talking fast to the left and right. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Hey, man, you, you remember that five-side game? Mm-hmm. You remember that yeah. five-side game that Khalil Mack had against Denver? 
I, it could happen again against uh, with Manelik, Manelik Watson over there in Denver. I think it, it could happen. And I believe Bruce Irvin is going to make you. I think he's going to have double-digit sacks. I believe that. But let's <laughs> want to say this, man. What'd you say? Yeah, no, man, I, I totally, I'm totally with you. Bruce Irvin, um, I think he's going to be gunning for to get into the Pro Bowl. Uh, I, I listened to someone, uh, sources inside the race, saying that he's aiming for a Pro Bowl season. So I think 10 sacks seems about right for this year. All right, we got less than a minute left. So, Mo, are you going to be at Raiders training camp this year? I'm not going to be at training camp, but I plan to be at a couple of games, that Giants game being one of them. Okay. I will so, say I, I want to I be at that Giants Okay, so listen, you know we got to link up, man. You know, you out there, me and Chuck out there, you know we got to do a show, man. We got to link up and do it, man. All right? All right, no doubt, man. I'm, I'm all down for it. You know what it is. A lot all of right, people man. wait so, for me to come out there in Oakland, so I'm I'm down for it. All right, man. So we appreciate you have, uh, having you on the show tonight, man. Thanks, Chuck. Mo. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck said thanks, man. So we appreciate you, man. You take care, man. Have a good night, bro. You too. Thanks. I appreciate you guys having me on. Man. All right, man. Take care, man. All right, fans. We'll see you guys next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 